Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, White Sox fans. Brett Ballantini hosting Saxivus. Saxivus continued along with, of course, partner in crime and really the patriarch of it all. It's Father Saxivus, Tommy Barbie. He's been here. He promised he'd be with each one and he has not missed yet. God bless you, Father. Hey, listen, we're halfway through. We're roughly halfway through. So, you know, it's true. It's, it's not, uh, the bag is getting lighter as we go. Uh, it is the festivus for the rest of us and the socks of us for the sorriest of us. We are here and we are starting with the sorry end of what is our little uh, uh, two-week foray into best and worst games of the season. Last year, I believe we just, we determined that it was best games first as befits perhaps a 93-win team. Well, when you go 81-81 and 81 in a championship window, we're going to go worst games first. So this week... Socks of a celebration of sorts is the worst games. And man, do we have some entertaining ones. Uh, as it is, I guess we will just go through each game for those of us who are joining on this podcast. Uh, have them um, speak on that game. And, uh, you know, then we can throw in our thoughts on it. And uh, those who might not be here, we'll still go over those games as well. I want to say we have roughly maybe a dozen written up. Uh, I don't know. I'll figure it out as we go through this podcast. Don't know necessarily if it'll be a super extendo one or not, but let's just get it started with Malachi Hayes. Uh, White Sox were six and four. There was still so much hope. They had gotten off to a six and two record, and they were the best team in baseball eight games in. And that turned south really quickly, including your game, sir. Yeah, that was that was a tough one because even though they had gotten out to that six and two start, they weren't playing great. They weren't tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, you still had you know Vince Velasquez in the rotation. They weren't fully healthy. Uh, we there were a couple days off. Tuesday was a rain out, so you end up playing a doubleheader on Wednesday. There's still kind of this question of whether Keuchel belongs in the rotation and uh, just everything that could possibly go wrong, go wrong, goes wrong. You know, Tim Anderson does the thing where he just kind of loses focus and he bobbles the ball. He you know makes a throw that pulls guy off the bag. And then suddenly Keuchel's given up single, single, single. And then he throws an 85 mile an hour sinker middle, middle to Jose Ramirez. And it's seven, nothing. Um, you know, it was an uncomfortable six and two that they had gotten out to earlier in the year. They had lost two straight to Tampa Bay entering that game against Cleveland. And that was one of the first moments where you really got to see how everything could actually go wrong. Cause it went wrong pretty badly. And they, you know, got pie in their face early in the season and never wiped it off and Cleveland let them in the dust. So that's kind of uh 
you know, ground zero for for the embarrassment that happened against uh, against the Guardians this year. This is also the Tim Anderson flips off the crowd game, or was that coming in the series? How did that play into it? Was that later in the season? Ooh, it's all a mess. That's a good question. I actually, uh, <laughs> they didn't that any in any of the highlights, mm. but uh, yeah, that was not. In the I think that was later sure. in the year. That was later in the year. Okay, well, yeah, take it out. It was against Detroit that he flipped off the crowd. Oh, yeah, I think, I think it was actually might have been one of the first games, one of the first games of the season, to be honest. Uh, and yeah, uh, Matthew, this is a, a, an issue of, and believe me, as I'm looking back on it, I'm thinking, wow, no, they started way stronger. They were hitting the cover off the wall. Hey, what's going on? What's wrong with you, man? So, I mean, this is just the rose colored glasses of looking back and trying to squeeze something, something good out of this desperately bad season. But sort of what you're saying, what your write up indicates is, is this was really, uh, fr- one of the first glimpses behind the curtain and realizing that perhaps there was a little bit of a house of cards element to this start, even though they were starting out against, you know, I guess adequate teams. I don't know. I guess they lost two to Tampa, but this was sort of like a peek behind the curtain that said, "Uh oh, wait this this might not be the coast that we thought it was." Yeah, and you just got the sense watching it that you're like, "Oh, we know now what good like legit World Series tenders look like because <laughs> we got smoked by Houston last year." Teams that are even at this stage in the season, teams that are that good are not getting smoked ten to nothing with four errors in the first two innings. And, and I think Andrew Vaughn got thrown out at second base at one point too. It was just a microcosm of all of the little things that um, went, that went against them. You know, they were getting beat uh, by bad defensive positioning, even at that point in the season, you know? So um, yeah, everything. We were probably still heady enough to think, well, maybe this, maybe this isn't what it is, even though it looked awfully fearsome. Uh, other memories, uh, any of, any of you have on what this, what this game was and what this beginning, well, it's the end of the hot start. I mean, they were, they peaked at the best team of baseball at six and two and they never were close to the best team of baseball again. It's just kind of hilarious because like when you look at all of this and like you look at that game as like, the first of many turning points of the season because we was all asking, when are the team, when is the team going to turn around? When are they going to like, you know, play like the team that's supposed to be, you know, when are we going to start seeing parade floats? And then it's just like, well, they're getting smacked. They're getting smacked by a team that knows not to, like that doesn't have home runs. This is going to be a fun season. Also, you knew it was bad when Andrew Vaughn was going for steals. I might be <laughs> able to outrun that man depending on how my knees feel that day. Yeah, and the White Sox didn't have a good month. I mean, you know, they had they had literally like a good eight game stretch to start to see. They having a good month, so they hadn't had like ten days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, and the season started late, so it wasn't even like. <laughs> and they, they lost three game days. one pretty badly too. So it's yeah, like they, they, had, they had like six days. Yeah. Uh, other thoughts on Malky's game. This, uh, you know, again, Keichel comes up. It's a theme. When you read through this article, and believe me, it's up, as always, people. It's published along with this podcast. And when you read through this article, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for the heartache. Uh, it's rough. Um, uh, I guess moving, and that was the April 20 game. I guess it's, it's worth mentioning. Um, we're going to scroll down just a couple weeks after that. Uh, Christina, Erd- uh, Christina Erdo is not with us uh for this podcast but her uh write-up as you can read on site is the josh Naylor game so i'm going to just let anybody just throw it out there if you want to uh encapsulate the uh the panoply of emotions that you went through uh seeing uh that was a walk-off grand slam it was something ugly walk-off grand slam or uh whatever it was a grand slam right and i mean he just flat out owned the team <laughs> and i mean i i think <laughs> Go as the season went on, that became more and more representative of just how the Guardians approach the White Sox yeah. in general. Like, just we don't care about you. Yeah. Everyone thinks that you're the best. We know we're better than you. And here's our opportunity to show it. And they just did it time and time again. And that Josh Naylor game to me is just kind of cements that whole, uh, that whole microcosm. Josh Naylor genuinely scares me. Like, I see that man in the dugout come up to the plate. Like, genuinely, I fear him. And then he, like, hits that home run, and he's, like, banging his head on, like, the coaches and the players. Like, 
that was the moment that I I knew that Cleveland was going to be trouble, but also like now I fear Josh Naylor for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, understandable. I mean, he like he just joined um, Jose Ramirez as the White Sox killers, and it's just like two on one team. That is lovely. It was what like seven RBIs after after from the ninth inning onward, and I'm just like. I, I'm pretty sure I stayed up pretty well. I mean, that was a like 11, 12 inning game, and that was just. I was like, Liam Hendricks, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Naylor, you know, unlike Ramirez, Ramirez just kills the White Sox, right? It's like, why do you ever throw a strike to Jose Ramirez? You, Naylor, I, I hear what you're saying, Allie, because Naylor's sort of, he's got this like extra edge where it's like, he, he's actually sort of scary. You don't know if he's going to go after one of the White Sox players. He's going to let the, he's going to let the bat fly out of his hands. He's going to hurt himself in the dugout. I mean, it, it is just a different kind of, <laughs> different kind of scary. Um, and yeah, so Christina pointed out, I believe she called it one of the most demoralizing losses she ever witnessed in person. So, uh, condolences to Christina f- for having to go through that. Um, painful experience uh as we coast downward it's now Allie Wessel's turn to talk about her pain and she um you know a sneak preview of the good game she chose a couplet of Dylan Cease game so because we were talking about the worst we're probably going to have to now talk about the worst Dylan Cease game of the season and uh that's your choice Allie uh take it away yeah I think this uh was just a worse for like worse experience I had at the game so not so much like you know, in the sense of like was demoralizing of the season, but um, you know, it was the game that Dylan Cease gave up the most earned runs he did all season, and his ERA went from like three oh nine to four twenty four in a singular night. Um, and to top it all off, my dad bought a scoreboard message, so we couldn't leave. I don't normally leave games <laughs> early, but like that was the one game that I was like, if we're gonna leave we should probably just leave early. And my dad bought a scoreboard message to congratulate my brother and his friend on graduating high school. So we had to stay till the eighth inning to see the scoreboard message go up. Um, But yeah, Dylan gave up six runs to New York, like two starts before that and bounced back against Kansas city. Um, And then, you know, Boston was already underperforming pretty early in the season. So I thought like, Hey, this should be another like good bounce back start for Dylan. And then he gives up, I think like two, like back-to-back home runs to start the game or something like that. Um, So yeah, he only went three innings, gave up seven earned runs. um, And then the bullpen came in and gave up another nine runs. So 16 to three loss. Yeah. It was uh, not a fun one to sit through and an oddly cool night for a late May night game. So, yeah. And and let's couple these together because who would have remembered again, this has been so much fun to piece together and edit and assign who would have remembered that the White Sox in one series gave up 16 runs in two separate games to the Boston Red Sox who finished in last place. Again, that's not the big, that's not the diss it sounds like given as the AL East, but uh, let's move right on to Jordan Haas, uh, who had the other 16 run game, but there was at least, uh, give us the encapsulation, Jordan, but really there was light at the end of the tunnel on this one because a good thing did come out of this 16 runs, um, at least this time around. So fun fact. So, uh, it was the <laughs> May 26th game against Boston, uh, <laughs> aka my birthday and mm. aka my first probably Sox game in person in probably 10, like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dallas Keiko on the mound gives up six runs in the first two innings. And I'm like, Oh God, please God. No. And I, I, I was like looking earlier in the week at, at the starters. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll get a Giolito start or something. And no, I got, I got Dallas fucking Keuchel. Um And we, we get to the, it, the Sox score three runs. They catch up a little bit. But they're, they, they look like there's no chance. It's, it's basically a bullpen game. And they, uh, they give up 16 runs. They give up a bunch of runs. Uh, there's a rain delay. I went home before the rain delay because it was just so bad. It was like the seventh inning and someone, I don't even remember what reliever it was, gave up two or three runs and the bases were loaded with no outs. I'm like, yeah, there's no fucking way I'm staying at this game. And uh, so me and my parents left that game. I get home and the game is still on. It was that <laughs> long of a game. Uh, it, the Sox scored like four more runs and then Josh Harrison was pitching. So we got a good Josh Harrison pitching out of that. But, uh, uh, but thankfully, thankfully, 
yes. the results of that game, yes, while being sixteen to seven and a loss, was the DFA of Dallas Keuchel. So in a way, it's both mm-hmm. a good game and a bad game. Which ironically probably wasn't the worst thing that happened to me that weekend because mm-hmm. I went to the Sunday game of that weekend <laughs> with COVID. So mm. not knowing I had COVID. Yeah. Uh, I well, think you... I really think this should be a nominee for the best game of the year for that reason alone. <laughs> because who knows how long Keiko mm. would have just been angrily throwing eighty yeah. miles an hour down the yeah. heart of the plate yeah. if it weren't for that game. Yeah. But he was he was the positive president in the locker room, man. You had to keep him. Also, I love the fact that both of these games against the Red Sox are sandwiched with like my birthday sandwiched between them on the twenty fifth. And the Dallas Keiko DFA was definitely a late birthday present to me. <laughs> also called COVID on my birthday, so Yeah. Not a yeah. not a good weekend for either of us, I guess, Dante. Yeah. May I just say, leading up to, like, that specific start and him getting DFA'd, like, going back to Malachi's game, like, I was kind of feeling bad for Keigel because I felt like every time he was starting, there were, like, random errors made. Granted, he also wasn't pitching well. I was, like, starting to have sympathy for him for absolutely no reason. Mm. And then, like, things started picking up mid to end of May, and I was like, yeah, this is the right decision, so... Yes. I, I have no sympathy for Dallas Keuchel. He ruined my birthday, and I will never forgive him for that. Last year, Di Billick spontaneously, spontaneously on a podcast came up with her uh, uh, popular folk song, uh, Dallas Keuchel Belongs in a Dumpster. I think, I believe that is the title. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, if there's any justice in the world, everyone would have been singing that song, serenading him off the mound for what would become the last time. Sort of like the way the fire Tony thing. I guess he didn't really actually get fired. So I guess that didn't quite work, but uh, I, maybe it just helped the movement. It got him away from the team for, for a month or something. Let's, uh, uh, a broad question to throw out. At this point, I think we got three games or so in a row where the team's just 500. And of course, the, the comic thing was that the team was never really much better, much worse than 500. And in fact, it was pretty much dead on 500, like 25 different times, maybe more during the season. At this point, we're getting into, uh, what are we in June? Wherever we're getting well into the season. The team is at 500. Is it still too early for any of you to have a sinking feeling of like, okay, wait a minute, this is a 500 team? Uh, you know, just a general survey. What did, did you feel there was a little bit more of a rally still just maybe because of the division alone? No. <laughs> hey, father, I got you. <laughs> they were I mean, playing I... so like lifeless and so like, like there was just zero energy. So there was like, you didn't really have a, like a hopeful feeling like, oh, you know, they, they have been giving it their all. It's just, they've been on the wrong end of the stick. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've gotten a few bad bloops here and there and the pitching's been really good. And no, it, <laughs> there was just no hope. <laughs> I, I stuck with my preseason prediction just because it felt like there continued to be success under this Tony LaRusso regime, despite all of my worries and fears about the overall roster. And the team, it just, nothing felt right about this season. So just the longer things went on with them hovering around 500, it was just like, yeah, th- this is who they are. And um, I think I, I know I was probably earlier in accepting it, but it just never felt like it was going to come together. The eight game losing streak was when mm. I thought I was being punked and like had that <laughs> sinking, like gut feeling that this was mm. not going to end well. Um, so yeah, I think April was kind of when I recognized things might not be ending the way I wanted them to be. And it just continued. I, th- I think I lasted till like August. I-, I was like, I was like, hopefully optimistic. And then I was like, I was deluded, you know, by the like, the the friends I've made along the way, you know, but I actually, you know, what? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna say the the game that made me uh unbelieve in this season was the the second game of the Rocky series where friggin Graveman walked walked the bases loaded with no outs in the ninth inning and they lost pretty terribly and uh hitting only exclusively ground balls in Coors Field I'm like yeah there's no fucking way this team gets that far even if we do make the playoffs Yeah. yeah broadly speaking it took me it took me a while 
Um, even though I was never too, too high on this team, I think I was one of the, the low predictors. I might've been the, once again, the lowest predictor of, of season wins, although we all thought they'd win the division. Uh, believe me, I've begun to peruse for the story on our predictions and there's some brutal shrapnel on that, uh, on that spreadsheet, uh, including all of us thinking the White Sox win the division, which come on, you can't blame us. And I think I kept some of the faith, even though I not got too high. I kept the faith just because again, you still thought the division well, the division was still playing down to the White Sox level. And really until the White Sox sort of gave Cleveland that last push. And by the end of the season, Cleveland did actually look for, for all of history. They will look like a legitimate team because they did press past 90 wins. Uh, but I mean, you know, a, a month left in the season or maybe even closer to the end of the season, they still weren't looking like that. And it still seemed the White Sox could stumble or back into, to, <laughs> to the playoffs. Uh, it didn't turn out that way. Um, uh, let's move on to, uh, Dante's game. Uh, <laughs> this is another couplet though. We won't, we won't, I won't, uh, uh piggyback on, on your uh, description of this game, even though I think I took the other one of the couplet, uh, Dante. So tell me what happened in your game, Dante Jones. Oh, it was a fun <laughs> one. You know, June 9th, let me set the scene. June 9th, <laughs> it's, um, White Sox Dodgers. First time the Dodgers have come to Chicago in years. You know, first time with fans with them in Chicago, all that fun stuff. Mookie Betts is there, which is the reason I even went to the game was to watch Mookie because it had been a while since I seen him when he was with Boston. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm doing nothing this day. Let me see what the White Sox are gonna get. Like, let's see the White Sox get crushed. And it was a Dylan C start. He went four and two thirds. Um, and the um the most memorable thing, if anybody can remember, um, Tony Larusa. Um, so Ben Sousa is up one two on. Trey Turner, who people pray is a future White Sox, but I don't see it's happening because it's the White Sox. Mm. But and he um Tony Russo gives him the walk, gives him the attention of walk sign, throws up those four fingers, and it's just like why are we walk like everybody in the crowd is just like, what is going on? What the fuck is Tony doing? Mm-hmm. And then and you know, it's two outs. So all that Bennett has to do is make one pitch. One. And no, the um, Hall of Fame baseball person decides, let's go to Max Muncy, who has more pop in his bat than Trey Turner. He might, like, he was just, and I get it, he was just getting off the IL and all that stuff. But then Trey Turner sends one Did work. to the Dan Ryan. <laughs> and it was, I didn't leave early because I just I had nothing else to do that day. <laughs> but it wasn't worth it. It was not worth the price of admission, even though I paid less than the usual price of admission. White Sox baseball 2022 had nothing better to do at that boy that explains it <laughs> I've skipped season tickets for a reason like I like me and um, Malachi Malachi cannot pronounce names um, we said no we are not doing the season ticket thing again because no this this team's mm-hmm. not good enough when the lockout happened they did not they were not response like responding well enough and June 9th was just perfect because even like the White Sox even had a chance until that home run was mm-hmm. hit. It was mm-hmm. seven to five mm-hmm. in the top of the sixth. It's like we got three whole innings. And like my faith in the team was dead, but also like we have home run hitters. Little do we know no one will hit 20 home runs mm-hmm. on this team, but we have home run hitters. We're good. Mm-hmm. We were not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth noting, Chicago White Sox. Hello. Hi, White Sox. Hello, front office. Hi, Rick. Uh, we uh, just on this podcast alone, we are three for three in season ticket holders in 2022. At this moment, not being season ticket holders in 2023. Sorry, guys, that's not they, a good ratio. They might have to pay me to go to more games than I went to last. Oh, year. that's a new plan. That's a new plan, not the Aussie plan. That's a new plan. Pay us to come. Oh, might you might need to consider it, White Sox. Oh, Lord. Um, hey, another thing that became a thing. Um, and we will get to one and two intentional walks. I have some thoughts on it as well, and I'll get my chance to speak. But uh, talk, uh, speaking of things that sort of took off and became themes for the season, I believe there were chants made at the ballpark. And I don't think it was go White Sox or a clap, 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 clap. Um, Melissa Sage-Bolenbach, can you tell us about your game and the thing that happened at your game? So it was June 11th, just a couple of days after Dante's game. You know, we hadn't had enough fun. We needed to have some more fun a couple of days later. Um, and it was a Giolito start. And he, surprisingly, he had done really well in the first four innings. He just looked blanked him. It was like old Gio. And we had like put 
together some singles and doubles and actually like scored some runs. And then Jake Berger hit a two-run home run. And so it was like, wow, this is kind of the White Sox baseball I expected, right? Good pitching, home runs, putting some together, some hits. And then it all just completely fell apart, which was 2022 White Sox baseball. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. all falls apart. Mm -hmm. And Giolito gave up four runs in the fifth inning. And then it was, uh, I believe, five to four at that point. Sox rallied back, seven to four. Yes, we got it going. Nope. The bullpen blew it. Ends up 7-7. And White Sox fans had had enough and started to chant fire Tony. And it wasn't like you could barely hear it. I mean, I was at home watching it on TV and you could hear it loud and clear through the broadcast. Fire Tony, fire Tony. And then of course they went into extra innings and they lost 11 to nine. So if I'm not wrong, the broadcast, maybe to its credit, although again, I'm not sure they had much choice. Um, Pretty quickly. I mean, there wasn't like there was an attempt to cover up what was going on. And pretty quick, I want to say like within the first five games, this was chanted, if not maybe like the second game, there was like dead air from the broadcast team just to sort of let it ring out. I could be remembering that wrong, but it does seem like there wasn't a whole lot of like tap dancing around. It's just like, hey, nope. let the yep. fans have their. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why Yeah, sitting at home, I was like, am I really hearing this? And are they really not talking over the background music? You were surprised that, you know, Steve Stone wasn't trying to hide, you know, what was going on, but he wasn't trying to tell us to um, enjoy the ride or something. I am shocked. Yeah. Uh, Flabbergasted. Yeah. I I don't think that there was really a way to cover any of that stuff up. I mean, you can't be like, oh, they're saying boo earns it's fine like you know i mean it was it was very obvious and um you know my favorite thing to share whenever tony larusa decided to go to the bullpen is that it felt like a game of oregon trail where he was fording the river and every time (laughs) whatever reliever he picked it was the wrong one and everybody would sink and die and that's how it felt like every time he was going to the bullpen with really a multiple of these games, like even close games that the White Sox lost should have been closer if not for just the horrific bullpen management. Tommy, you might not be aware of this. Tony LaRusso invented the bullpen. He did. He so, invented the closer. Wow. But what a baseball he... genius. <laughs> I think what made it worse though is like when I was writing it up and making sure I had all the details right um is that the national news media like was all on top of it and so it was everywhere it was everywhere yeah yeah that here we are you know we're we're booing and and enchanting to fire our hall of fame baseball person so another feather in the cap of white socks yeah I think when we briefly uh cover uh hamster's game uh that's something she brought out we'll we'll come back to that that thought, Melissa, as well. I'm trying to think like I, I'm with Tony. It just doesn't fit when the team's doing poorly. So it just doesn't work. Uh, we're almost at all-star break. Uh, and that's, I think, when we're going to uh, take our commercial break for this podcast. But let's squeeze in Brian O'Neill's game. He is not with us. Of course, his, uh, as you might imagine, if you know Brian well at all yet, um, I took a literary, literary uh, bent for his write-up on the triple play game. Uh, yes, it is the only 8-5 triple play in Major League history, or at least MLB history. Uh, the White Sox were the victims of that. Um, I mean, I, that's, it wasn't super memorable. Another embarrassing thing, I suppose, nationally, because it became a graphic like, hey, you've never seen this before in baseball. But at this point, we're all sort of heading into the All-Star break. We're sort of getting used to being the, the, well, we were going into the season and certainly this season did not help any being the butt of sort of national media jokes and, you know, LaRusse's front and center this time, maybe it's base coaches. You can point some fingers at as well, but uh, just not a good look uh, having the first eight, five triple play in MLB history. Yeah, that was definitely a clarifying moment in terms of seeing just how deep the organizational rot was with the coaches with uh, looking at Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston on that play and saying, what, why are you on the field? If not to specifically prevent that from happening. 
Like, what are you bringing to the table here? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, so that was, like I said, kind of a pretty clarifying moment where it's like, wow, they you really need to clean house. You really need to uh, wipe it from the top down if they're going to get this rot that's, you know, Tony is a symptom, but not the entirety of what's wrong with this organization. Yeah. Well, then you had, uh, I think, I, I don't, because I think it was Engel and um, Mankata that were on base there. I think Mankata or Engel had said that that's just how they were taught too, which was eye-opening onto how they were taught base running. Because that doesn't seem like something you want to learn or teach somebody to do. But I, you know, it, it could have been worse. It could have been an unassisted triple play. But I think, <laughs> I think the, I, I, at least that one's rare and has happened before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it sort of goes hand in hand, um, um, uh, dovetailing on what Malachi said, um, with the, uh, with the Reese McGuire sort of jogging home and Adam Engel deciding to advance as well, costing the White Sox a run. I mean, these are things that the base coaches are, t- I mean, it's not their fault. They're not, they're not on the bases running, but that is their almost really their sole purpose. And if you can't execute that enough to say, you know, get, get moving, you know, on delay, whatever you see, whatever, uh, uh, language Reese McGuire speaks, uh, no jokes, uh, wh- whatever language he speaks to get him home because you see the guys go, I mean, it's just a, it was an absolute cluster. Um, yeah, that game yeah. was definitely um, an eye opener to like the fundamentals of baseball were not being played by the White Sox leading up mm-hmm. to the All Star break, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that like no matter how good at a sport you are, you always have to go back to those things. So like if you're not playing those, we've got an issue. Yeah, and- you're supposed to have QA coaches for that exact reason, and they didn't do that. At all. I don't know what that acronym <laughs> is. I'm a White Sox fan. What are you talking? Is that something with at the concession stand? Uh and yeah. a, go ahead. There's a reason why none of them are coming back in 2023. Exactly. Yeah. Like Dale, like I said, Dale Boston, Joe McEwing. I was oh, I was so happy when they hired Pedro and it was like, yeah, they y'all can all leave. Don't let mm-hmm. the door hit you with the Laura split you. Let it hit you. I don't know what mm-hmm. you want, like, but please leave. Mm-hmm. Leave this organization. Don't come back, especially Daryl Boston, for reasons we've stated before. And yet, and yet, and yet, heading into the All Star break, the White Sox make the division leading Twins look foolish, look lifeless. There is momentum heading into the All Star break. This team is ready to make a move. Find out after the break if they made that move. We'll be talking about several more. Low lights of the season. So out of that, will we find a division championship? Oh, gosh, you know the ending. I can't really build up any suspense. But anyhow, it'd be nice if you stuck around. Please wait a minute, and we'll be back in, well, we're going to talk about more games, leading off with Father Saxivus himself. Spoiler alert, Brett. Some of us haven't watched the end of the season. All right. For those of you, pause your podcast, finish out, finish your binge, and then come back to the second half of this podcast. Very good warning. Thank you, Jordan. You may have to bail out Don't, of this now. If, if I'm going to say, I'm going to say this is it. Do not binge it. Instead, <laughs> purge it. Do anything else with your life. Watch something else. <laughs> Watch something else. Watch <laughs> season eight of Game of Thrones. You will not be miss. You will be happier watching season eight of Game of Thrones. You'll be less disappointed it. somehow. Yeah, it's like them watching this train this train wreck that we call the 2022 Chicago White Sox. Sloppiest yet most appropriate seg into our break ever. We'll be back. I don't know. Some of you may not be back because you don't know how this ends. If you do know how it ends, we promise to make it entertaining. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, White Sox fans. Okay, those of you now, again, seriously, if you don't know how this ride ended, you're just going to need to pause this. I don't I don't ever want to promote pausing these delightful podcasts, but just listen to as far as you got. You still got to listen to that final episode. Well, then, okay, listen to the podcast. I'm into the final episode. Uh, we'll trust you. Uh, thought for a second that uh, Jordan indeed 
would not uh, hop on because she did not realize uh, how the ride ended, but uh, apparently she did. So she's back with us as well. We are intact, full crew to take on the second half of the season. It's podcast 129. You'll hear from me and uh, some others who haven't heard from yet uh, talking about our <laughs> worst games of the season. Boy, there were a lot. Jeez, 81 losses and even some of the wins, as you'll find out, weren't real great either. We are going to lead off into the second half. We last left you at the cliffhanger point where the Twins seem to have no energy. They seem to be ready to be overtaken in the second half of the season. And again, spoiler alert, they were overtaken in the second half of the season, just not by the White Sox. So anyhow, let's see how this plays out. Father Soxibus, please take it away. Tell us about your worst game of 2022. So the game I picked, it wasn't necessarily the worst game, although it was a terrible game. Um, They (laughs) lost eight to nothing to the Texas Rangers. The highlight of it was, one, you're playing in Texas, which everyone (laughs) knows Texas usually gives up a ton of runs. It was also the Dane Dunning game, where if the White Sox know anyone, it should be Dane Dunning, since he came up in their system. They helped him be kind of what he is now. Walks a lot of guys, leaves the ball up, looking for, you know, sinkers that aren't sinking all that fun stuff like this is very basic hitting 101 white Sox get one hit by dame dunning on top of that the socks are throwing out there (laughs) half of michael kopech (laughs) so for an inning looks fantastic but steve stone who wasn't quite as jolly as he normally is is going on and on about how it looks like Cope might have hit a wall. Obvious to all of us here, obvious to everyone else, probably obvious to Kopech, not obvious to Rick Hahn or Tony LaRusso, who just continue to throw him out there every five days and say, yeah, just keep going until your arm falls off. Yeah. He gets basically hit out of the fourth inning. And it was brutal between the first inning to the fourth inning where you see him commanding his pitches in the first inning to not being able to locate anything, losing velocity on his pitches. And Tony takes him out of the game. And what should have been at least a close pitcher's duel turns into just a total nightmare where it's fire on top of gasoline. It turns into a laugher. Um, Dane Dunning's ERA going into the game was 4.84. He left with a four something like 402 ERA at the end of it. That like those are things that just shouldn't happen to professional baseball teams. And it was, it was a bad game. And it was the first time that Steve Stone actually did not implore people to enjoy the ride and talked about how lazy the players were playing because you had a really awful Yuan Mankata error in that game that led to four runs. He was talking about how poorly managed the team was, which usually is a hot topic that isn't allowed to be touched. So this game stood out to me because it was really the first concise clear-cut game other than them not trying to hide behind the Fire Tony crowd Mm -hmm. chants of even Steve Stone being like, yeah, this isn't it, and I know that I said that everything's going to be fine, but everything really isn't fine. Now, Tommy, this is early August. We've we've skipped to early August here. Um, and now, Steve Stone, I know he 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 did he jumped off the ride. I he mean, did in a, in a in a. I mean, I'll didn't say tell anybody, but he yeah, did. Yeah, I'd say it's cowardly, but whatever. I mean, you know, I mean, better late than never, right? But I mean. Did he have nothing to say? I mean, this is still pretty early for him to have completely jumped off. And I don't remember, you know, I'm black anyway, but uh, did he not have anything smarmy? I know, uh, I know Bacon, I know Gordon Beckham took up the cause like for one game and was giving people a little bit of noise. Did Steve really not have anything to say uh, Twitter wise after this no. game or was he still a little conflicted? Did, did he just no. give it up? He, he, this is, okay. this was around that time where he just went completely dark on any of the i know it's going to happen and i've seen everything because i invented baseball and it's 
yeah, no, that, none not, of that happened. Not because the White Sox actually said, Steve, what are you doing? Don't do it. It's just like he had nothing more. He had nothing really to say. say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now uh, that you mentioned that, Steve did get really quiet there for the last he did. two months of the season. The last yeah. two months of the season. He just went completely dark. And that was right around the start of it. Okay. All right. Just wanted to check because it seemed maybe just it, it's uh, the whole grotesqueness of uh, whatever, the first two thirds of the season <laughs> and his yeah. attitude and the chip on the shoulder, I guess, really loomed larger than I thought. I didn't realize he bailed uh, that quickly. He lost his password that quickly. Okay. Yet still. Tommy, the team's 54 and 53. They did not capitalize on the momentum going in where we thought, okay, it's like a sneeze into the second half and they're going to be in first place. That didn't happen. They're still doing this thing where they're just kicking the can down the road a little bit. Uh, but again, just uh, you or anybody else here, uh, is, is there still is there still any good vibe that 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 the rest of this division can continue to fall down to the White Sox and just let the White Sox back in? I know we'd already at that point started robustly making fun of the empty room uh, Fresh Prince empty room, but I mean, the, the division wasn't clinched yet. There was still opportunity. Uh, what was the the mindset about a hundred games in with the team just still sort of lingering? Well, I think it, I felt the, the 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 front office had given up because they did nothing at the deadline. So it was like, well, they saw the writing on the wall. Like, well, this is what we got, and we're going to run it. So it was like well, I guess this is what it is going to be. And so, yeah, I think it was drained of any hope moving forward after that. Wasn't that before the deadline? Because the deadline was late this year too. It was like, I think I, I agree. No, that was, there were some bad vibes at that point. And ironically, this was also my first game for, uh, that I covered for Southside Side. <laughs> so uh, it, was a, it was a great, it was a great start to. Impeccable um, timing. Yeah, yeah, impeccable timing. I, I started at the absolute worst time of the season. <laughs> well, not the worst time. There were worst times. I could have started in September, and that would have been terrible. But yeah, no, we don't. Vibe... Some people don't know how it ends. Don't tell me that, Jordan. Yeah, great, <laughs> ruined it. Uh. The vibes were the vibes were off, and I. I, I, you know, I, I, I picked up my vibes a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be covering the team now, and then mm-hmm. I was like. Oh God, what did I get myself <laughs> what did into? I do? <laughs> We've all had that experience, Jordan. Don't you worry. Yeah, but yeah. game one. <laughs> yeah, game one's, but yeah, that, yeah, that's a brick wall, right? Yeah, you hit the accelerator right into the brick wall. Not good. Uh, let's move on to the hamster game. It's a uh, week or so afterward. It's an actual win. And, uh, <laughs> go figure. There are, uh, bad, worst games this season that are actually wins. And here's the reason why it, it dovetails a little bit based on her write up. It dovetails a little bit on what uh, Melissa had brought out. And that is the, uh, propensity for the White Sox to be a national la- laughing stock. Uh, in this case, in this game, a 4-2 win over, uh, Houston, I believe, uh, part of a sweep. Uh, White Sox are, uh, after this game, 1656. Again, we're just poised for them to make that run to get like 10 games over 500 to win the division. Um, and of course it didn't happen, but, uh, this is a game course where Eloy Jimenez hits a double to tie the game against the Astros late. And someone in the stands behind the plate has to yell into the dugout to Tony Larusa to pinch run Adam Engel, uh, for Eloy at second base. And very clearly, there's no confusion here. Very clearly, Tony was not planning on doing that. Heard the calls very late in, in the, uh, in the next at bat, very late calls timeout to get Engel in the game. And it wouldn't be embarrassing if that was maybe say a Ricky or a, a even, even, even I dare say Pe- Pedro, uh, or Hamster dare say Pedro, uh, because those people might have taken it sort of light hearted. You know, who knows? They might have said like, hey, you know, given a point or a smile or whatever. Uh, but with Tony being the Hall of Fame baseball person he is, you know, he wasn't going to be like, wow, thanks for that assist. There's going to be no joking there. He's in the Hall of Fame. You kiss the ring uh, and don't question him. So I'm sure in his mind, as he settles down and looks at his scrapbook, that ugly, ugly scrapbook on fire of 2022, he's saying to himself, yep, I knew it all along. I was planning it all along. But um Thoughts, uh, without hamster here, thoughts on that game? Because again, it was just another, you know, fire Tony, the, the, the banner, uh, just a number of different things. The, uh, the one, two intentional walks, uh, just another thing that was embarrassing. Even in a win, you sort of can't escape the winsibility factor of the Chicago White Sox in 2022. Um, was Tony sleeping? Because, you know, like it looked like he wasn't sleeping at the moment, he wasn't. but he had to be asleep or something. 
you know, maybe he was a few um, drinks in, you know, or some. Before but it's he- not just him. They have coaches. Yeah. Supposedly, yeah, like have supposedly Miguel team. Cairo exists. Mm-hmm. I, I still yeah. don't know what they he didn't did, do anything, but <laughs> they didn't do anything. Like you don't have really all the these people there. Person. Like he knows what he's doing because he's done this, even though at that point he hadn't done it before we hired him for a decade. You know, it was genius decision-making by Chicago White Sox to be like, yeah, no, no, the fan didn't influence us in any way, shape or form. Despite the fact that it was obvious that the fan saying Adam Engel should run. And it's just like, Duh. Like, me, I know it on couch. Y'all know it on couch. The people on the stands knew that shit, obviously. And yet, Tony's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and it worked. He ended up uh, um, scoring the, the, the winning run in the game. So, uh, way to go, Tony. At this also, point- Tony should know. Sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. Um, at this point, like we're already the laughing stock of the league. I feel like, and like Joe Girardi got fired, Joe Madden got fired, Charlie Montoyo got like. I was just counting all the managers getting fired, and I'm like, okay, where? When is it my turn? Like baseball gods, I see what you're doing for me, for them. Like, can you please do it for me? And like that was just yet another example on the resume of 2022 that was like, okay, it's my turn now. Like, please let me have it. And that was a sad feeling too, because you knew it wasn't going to happen. So that was, that's a sad feeling. Not that you're hoping your manager gets fired or you're not hoping for bad things, but when it needs to happen, you do. And you knew there was no chance of that happening. As it was, we got one last month of Alusha just simply because he was ill. Uh, that's a, that's a despondent feeling as a fan. You want to think that the fire Tony chance would actually resonate, but we knew the minute they started and the minute the banners came out, I was like, that's just going to make him dig in. He's going to get an extension. Yeah, but not pictured was Rick Hahn standing in the shadows with like a, a wry smile on his face as all of this is transpiring. Yeah, well, he he can act all <laughs> joyful now, but you know he made the hire and he didn't. Uh, well, it's a whole other podcast, Tommy Barbie, <laughs> Father Soxibus. Let's stick it to Soxibus because this is the holiday season. Um, and uh, uh, I guess let's spill into my game. Uh, it's just a few days later. It's a second one-two intentional walk game. Um, different in that a home run wasn't hit. It worked. But a thing I uh, brought out at the time when we were completely losing our heads over the fact that this even happened and we're de- devoting entire podcasts to discussing the nonsensical nature of the Chicago White Sox management top to bottom is – uh, and it's something that at least one, I think, former White Sox uh, pitcher in the organization brought out. And it's something I hadn't really considered until I, I saw his tweet or whatever. And that is the, the level of confidence, the level of the vibe that that gives the pitcher where you're basically saying, and in this case, it was Jake Diekman, you know, a guy who is a veteran uh, that we can't, we don't trust you to get w- one strike. And this isn't going up against, say, Jose Ramirez, somebody who's got your number, or Albert Pujols when he was having his, like, he's hitting a home run every other at-bat, some sort of magical Babe Ruth run. I mean, this is, you know, this is just a a mortal (laughs) Cleveland Indian, uh, Cleveland Guardians batter. Uh, And, you know, what that tells a guy, you know, if you're going to send him down, if you're going to get Sean Tracy, if you're going to send the guy down, like, I'm never going to see this guy again. All right, I guess. Kill his confidence and gut him. And... Jake Diekman shouldn't have his confidence gutted by this move, but it's not a shot in the arm. It's not the kind of message you want to be sending to your pitching staff, to your bullpen, because that resonates in the bullpen because Liam Hendricks or whoever else has got to be saying, okay, this is going to, I guess Liam wouldn't say it, but other relievers would say, okay, when's it happening to me? It happened to two guys in the bullpen. I don't know how many relievers they had this year, whatever, a dozen or 15. I mean, that's a pretty ugly percentage to have that asked of. And it's just, um, you know, even though this worked, the White Sox lost, but this time it worked. You know, of course, Tony Russa afterwards angler, angrily defended because at this point, I think the beat had actually gotten enough courage to say like, okay, we're going to challenge him on this. And he, you know, he pushed right back. He did wake up enough, uh, uh, post game to, you know, fire back, uh, angry, resentful, you know, any baseball person would know to do that. And, you know, I've yet to see a single baseball person step forward and say, yeah. I would do that. It's a great idea. Uh, after a second one and two intentional walk at this point, is everybody just thinking, okay, just what's next? Is it going to be a, is it going to be an alien landing at, at, at second base, like in the Vec days, or is the, is the ballpark just going to burn down? I mean, at this point, anything can happen if one, two intentional walks just continue on. 
Yeah, those those were the kinds of games that were reminders to just not get your hopes up too much and that realistically things weren't going to come together in the end. Uh, that things were just an internal mess. Nobody was checking anybody. And just the fact that this happened again, it doesn't matter what the yeah. result was. The fact that it happened yeah. again and that he got so indignant about it at the press conference afterwards and really, you know, almost seemed to be making these moves just out of spite yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Uh, it it was just a reminder, you know, once or twice a week that things were totally off the rails. And, you know, yeah, if they hover around 500, like, you know, 88 games probably wins the AL Central. So you might as well keep watching because they could still fall ass backwards into a division title just by, you know, being off the rails and hovering around 500. It didn't happen. Uh, but you knew that they weren't going to pull it together and seize a hold of the division on their own accord like we all thought they were supposed to. And might have even been holding out hope for the first couple months. Yeah, I I really got the impression between this and some of the other things that he would do just throughout his tenure with the White Sox again. He was more interested in being right than doing the right thing. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily out of spite, but it was just like him in his mind being like, I'm going to prove all of these people wrong and show everyone that I know what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to do. And just assuming that that's going to work because maybe for him in his mind, it has, but it never was based on any sound reasoning or any real logic. And that's why whenever, you know, it was usually James Fagan that would get into arguments with him, but whenever he was questioned about it, he would immediately dig his heels in and be like, no, you don't understand what you're talking about because you're not at my level. And this is what normal baseball people do, even though everyone knows that that's not true at all. Also in retrospect, like he departed the team for health complications, like 11 days after this. So I also wonder like if he's, and I'm not like trying to make excuses for him because he was nutty all season, but like he really got indignant about some of these decisions he was making. And I feel like if he wasn't a hundred percent there, he's just trying to like stick around and like prove himself in a way that was just creating even more mm-hmm. like terrible choices for himself. Like absolutely for, himself yeah. for the team. So I think in retrospect too, like I, I also wonder like how much was his health playing into the decision-making that was happening as a manager and then also his coaches questioning him. And it sounds like it was really just Tony LaRusse's way of the highway. And if he's getting more defensive, then, you know, no one's even trying to approach him about why he's making certain decisions at this point. I'd yeah, say for the thing is like, I, at this point, I would have just told him to take the highway himself. But like, as I wrote in my um, write up on Tony LaRusse when we was giving out grades earlier and um, earlier last month, I want to say, because it's a lot of grades to give out find him on Southside Sox. Anyway, um, I was saying, Tony always feels more, sca- like, has reached the point of feeling more scapegoat than, act- like, he was obviously a problem, but he was also a scapegoat, and, like, we all saw how, like we said earlier, we all saw Rick Hahn just smiling, just smiling mm-hmm. his ass off, being like, yeah, I'm untouchable, mm-hmm. when he was able to introduce Pedro, which is, what, his fourth manager in his tenure as the GM of the team? Mm-hmm. or fifth manager i don't know which point is like there's a deeper darker issue with this team and his names are rick kenny and jerry mm-hmm. and it's like tony does stupid shit all the time it's what a lot of these managers do i mean hell dusty baker just won his first world series because he's made some horrible decisions in the past between like batting orders and bullpen stuff but like at least Dusty's willing to give things a chance. This is why I wanted him to become the manager of the White Sox, you know, before the Houston thing happened and the Houston had to give everyone up. Yeah, the you don't want to feel like your manager is, is trolling your team. You don't think he's working against your team. And to, to what uh, Tommy said, where, you know, you, you th- it's more important for him to be right. It's more important to be somehow vindicated. I mean, and to Ali's point, that th- I think the only thing that caught in my throat hearing that he was dealing with the issues he was, was the fear created by the, the nodding off. I think, I mean, not that it at the time was inappropriate, but certainly going back, you think, okay, that's something that very clearly 
would seemingly be, I'm guessing he just wasn't staying up playing video games till four in the morning. I'm guessing he really was struggling with actually getting blood through his system, which would make plenty of sense in terms of like drilling down into actual decision-making that might be a bigger stretch, but yeah, it certainly could be a factor given that, you know, right around the corner, uh, he's about to leave the team. And and I suppose uh, on that note, let's move to uh, surprisingly absent from this podcast, Super Joseph Reese's. He chose, <laughs> he chose a game against Baltimore. White Sox still over 500. And they could have been even more over 500 if Adam Engel, defensive specialist, had not ventured into foul territory and had a ball go pop out of his glove, uh, which led did not lose the game, but did lead to a rally by uh, Baltimore and an extra inning win. Uh, and at this point, the White Sox are still in it, but I'm going to guess really at this point with about a month plus to go, there is that sinking feeling that's starting to get further and further down in the bottom of all our stomachs saying, you know, the White Sox are going to find a way instead of to do this, to even back into this, you start to get the feeling that the White Sox are going to continue to find a way to not do this and not even really maybe make it close as much as we were looking hard at the schedule, like, okay, if this and this and this happens, man, it's going to be a great uh, final weekend. Uh, Adam Engel game, given who it came from, given how they ended up losing it, including uh, Liam Hendricks, uh, I believe walk off home run and extras. Uh, at this point, we got to sort of be thinking, okay, wait, it's, if we're not already there, it's probably not going to. Have you ever had a moment where you know exactly where you are? Like, you know how we say, okay. like, when Michael Jackson passed away or something like sure. that, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing the moment that that ball fell off his hand. And the moment it fell off his hand, I was at work with one of my coworkers. I work on the north side, one of the few fellow White Sox fans that works with me. Good guy. And we'll watch, we watch almost every game whenever we're close on a guy. We just watch it on their computer. And that pops out, and I just say to him, yeah, Steve, we're not winning this game. This is it's over. They're, they're about to hit a home run. And don't call me no Sedonstress because <laughs> I don't know much else besides that. But they did hit a home run to tie the game and take us to extras where we lost it. Yeah. I want to know why Liam – this was another game where I'm like, why is Liam Hendricks pitching in the situation that he is pitching in? Like, in a tied game. Liam Hendricks went into so many tied games this season, it – blew my mind like he's in in a one he's there to pitch one run two run saves and like utilizing him in situations where he's not supposed to be just again Tony's decision making this this is another instance where I think he got dinged for it early on and it became a thing for him where it's like this is our high leverage reliever I will determine what that means but I will just throw him out here in all these situations where it doesn't make sense. And I think it just became, it, it was an ongoing pattern, like you said. But Tony invented the closer. Hmm. So if you're going to invent did. the closer, utilize the closer in the role in which you got them for. And, and well, weren't they winning when he came into that game? Like they were winning by a run. And yeah, they they was winning. Win. it was, yeah, they, they were winning. It was winning to nothing, actually. Yeah, and then that, the home run was a game-tying home run, and they lose in extras because, well, you know, extra man on base. Yeah, I, I turned that off after after Engel dropped that ball because I was like, there's no way Liam recovers from this. because Yeah, because Liam doesn't know what a clean inning is if it was looking mm-hmm. at him in the fucking face. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is done because Liam just gives up, like, he gives up hits and gives up runs. He walks people. Like, Liam at his best – is one of the best, if not the best, closer in baseball. Not named Emmanuel Classe, probably. Liam at his worst is just painful to watch. He's like, it's like kind of like watching, say, Blake Snell, where like the nibbling and the nibbling, but they're not getting the nibbles where they need to get them at in the strike zone. So it's either a fastball, a fastball in the perfect spot to get sent over the wall, or a fastball in the perfect spot to get ground out or a strikeout. Maliki might have my back here. I do not mind using a closer in a high leverage situation. I think it's probably the right way to do it um, as opposed to what Ali's thinking. But the problem here is like we saw with the Craig Kimball, if Liam isn't, and I don't think Liam feels this way. He wants, he wants to start. He wants to pitch middle innings. He wants, he wants, he wants to never not pitch. But I would think um, that if for some reason there's discomfort or if he's not saying it, 
the manager or maybe the pitching coach are gilded golden boy pitching coach should say hey he's not really vibing with this this season this month this stretch maybe you don't put him in the high leverage maybe you do just give him that um those easy saves uh because he's just not feeling just general high leverage uh you do have to have i mean Tony Roos is the kind of guy who's going to be like, well, you know, computers don't manage games. Well, he's acting like he's computer managing games. If there's no nuance to what it is he's doing it, if he can't see, if he can't, you know, I don't know, feel the vibe out of the bullpen, recognize when, say, Michael Kopech is hurt and shouldn't start a game. I mean, really basic stuff. And even that nuance stuff that you'd think would get you in the Hall of Fame, uh, if he's not doing that, then, yeah, you can't put Liam in something that isn't necessarily the situation that's built for him, speaking to Ali's point. But uh yeah i mean it was it was falling apart and i guess we all you know <laughs> we're all acknowledging that it was sort of like sinking uh sinking sinking um we only have one more game to discuss and that is our sort of uh trooper galactus joke uh best game because i believe um uh that's actually his joke uh sneak preview for next week his joke um best game of the season uh, which actually was a loss. So go figure that the, the hamster thinking. Uh, but the September 21st game is Troopers Pick. It's our last game on our list of write ups. Uh, and it really, um, I subtitled it as like a backbreaker. This was part of a stretch, the must sweep. I believe this was the must sweep series versus Cleveland and it was must sweep. <laughs> it just didn't quite go. <laughs> we, you, we operated the broom the wrong way and swept in the wrong direction. Um, Obviously, at this point, pretty much hope is lost. Uh, after Cleveland left, left town after this sweep, was there anyone still thinking anything good could come of this season? I think my recap of this game was hope is lost. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I think I was also on the bird app for this game, and it was like, oh, yeah, no, there's – why are we even watching anymore? Yeah. Yeah, it sucks to say that with, you know, whatever, 10 or, you know, however many games left in a season, when we pretty much assumed, again, just by virtue of the strength of the division, that even if the White Sox continued just to stumble and shoegaze, that they were going to be like, okay, well, if we sweep the last series of the season, we could, you know, win the division. The fact that it was rapidly becoming apparent as Cleveland's, you know, was getting hotter and hotter, uh, that that wasn't going to be the case, and this was going to just be closed out, uh, that, was, that was pretty sad. I mean, that was really that coverage would have been like the uh, definitely the wake the wake of all of this i blame minnesota for literally not losing for not for literally <laughs> winning a single game <laughs> in like 12 games with yeah. the freaking cleveland in 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 from the end of august to the end of september and they i think they won one of them and i kind of blame them a little bit for this as much as we shouldn't be like as much as they should have been controlling their own destiny it's also nice if the you know a third place team that's, you know, supposed to be a good team or a decent team could win more than one in 12 games against the leader of the division. Well, I the thing think- is we're talking about the AL Central. Like the AL Central is not the AL West where almost everyone in the division is horrible. And then you have the Astros. And I guess this year, the Mariners being good. But the AL Central, everybody in this division isn't that good. Like, yeah, Cleveland took Yan- the Yankees to game five, but also where the Yankees, like, the Yankees kind of died in September and, like, couldn't be revived. But I, I think, think, go ahead. Well, I just think at that point, too, Cleveland had, like, zoned in and they were like, yeah. we're getting this. We're going for it. We're playing with everything we've got, which is what the, how the White Sox should have been playing. So once you kind of saw Cleveland, you know, balls to the walls it was like well this is definitely our goose is cooked yeah i think we should thank minnesota because if not for minnesota our collapse would look a lot uglier that's true the twins actually out collapsed us i mean they 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 were in first place and fell out of first place we basically weren't uh and i mean as terrible as embarrassing as the white Sox were and how much they choked this season the twins got us beat at every turn no matter how you, you you know you roll it out so uh that's a great way to draft behind another team. Hey, thanks, Minnesota. Way to be even more embarrassing than the White Sox. Also, Minnesota still hasn't won a playoff game in years. It's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Cleveland, like, 
going into their series against Minnesota had lost like 12 of 13 or something like that. So like Cleveland kind of gave Mm -hmm. us an opportunity to get Mm -hmm. our way back into the race. And then both teams (laughs) arguably heated up a lot because I mean, Cleveland won what seven of eight in at Minnesota in Mm -hmm. Cleveland, but like the White Sox also, I think won all of those series that they played, but it was like at that point, Cleveland got so hot that the White Sox, would have had to sweep. Yeah. So I think yeah. just teams got pretty like one team got warm and Cleveland mm-hmm. just got hot. <laughs> yeah. Take a four out of five. A series of four out of five is is just yeah, that's not going to give a shot in the arm, no matter how well the White Sox are playing. And then of course ultimately if if you falter in the face of the mighty Cleveland Guardians. Uh you know, when I think about Cleveland and they're like um angst toward the White Sox, how they're even like taunting them during their celebration. They should be celebrating, but they're taunting the White Sox. Um, it seemed a little weird to me, but then I realized there's so many intense games based on reading this article, so many intense games with Cleveland this year, all of them working pretty much against the White Sox. I guess I could see why they might just want to rub our faces in a little bit. Oh goodness. Look at this. We're looking up at Cleveland. That is never a good place to be. And look at this for the next, well, at least season. Sorry, Pedro. Uh, if not, Oh, the rest of the decade, we're looking up at Cleveland. It's the nineties uh, all over again. Yeah. All in, yeah. No shit. All in the matter of just one season. Oh, God help us. Well, you know what? As despondent, I'm, I'm sorry. If you listened all the way and you shouldn't have, Hey, listen, we warned you, you got to stop before the final chapter and then finish your, uh, finish your binge when you've actually finished the regular, uh, the regular season viewing. Uh, but if you have the same amount of courage, I promise it will be a slightly more rewarding, if not winsome and somewhat bittersweet uh, podcast a week from today when we will be recounting the best. Believe it or not, there were 81 wins as, long, as well as 81 losses. So among those 81 wins are going to be some of the best games of the season. This crew, very likely intact, if not maybe uh, joining up with a, a couple of their friends from Southside Sox, will be recounting those games. They'll pick their favorites and we will talk about them in another week. But for now, of course, cap tip to Father Saxophus himself. Looking very festive, by the way. Uh, extremely appropriate, uh, apropos uh, where for this podcast. Uh, thank you, Father Saxophus, Tommy Barbie, leading us off. Melissa Sage, Molenbach. Uh, Dante Jones, Ali Wessel, Malachi Hayes, Jordan Haas, uh, and several other writers who were not able to show up on this podcast. Maybe they will join us in a week when we're talking about the best games. Maybe they're just front runners. They just want to talk about good stuff. Everything's so depressing. The world is so challenging right now. Let's just talk about good games and wins. And yet we'll probably talk about a couple losses as well. You'll find out in a week if you've watched the whole season. Don't listen to the full podcast if you haven't. If you don't know how it ends, uh, save the surprise for yourself. Believe me, it's a surprise, and it will give you a stomachache. I'm Brett Ballantini, hosting these things along with Tommy Barbie. Hey, it's Socks of Us. The celebration continues. It continues on into November. Uh, tune in in a week. We'll talk about best games. Thanks for being with us, everybody. <laughs>